startups are really quick to take the VC route and sort of, oh, we need the money. We need to get funded so we can, you know, then throw money at marketing and all of that. But that's one way to do it. And it kind of works. I'm not a huge fan of it simply because, you know, that overspending in marketing is now over, like with the 2022, 2023 market crash. It's, mm -hmm. you know, all of the companies are cutting the budgets. Now you have yeah. half the money to produce the same result because, you know, the VCs are not going to change their KPIs. You just have less money to do it. So how are we doing that? And that's really where repositioning comes in because, you know, with the last startup, we managed to lower the cost of user acquisition by half. That means you can do the same amount of growth with half the money. Every SaaS company plays for high stakes, but what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing, the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists, and we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Ready to unlock the true power of marketing strategy? In this theme, we'll explore the world of cutting-edge marketing strategies and tactics, that are shaking up the SaaS industry. We'll share insights on testing new tactics and uncover the latest developments from digital landscape giants like Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We'll also explore how AI is revolutionizing the digital landscape and transforming marketing tactics. So grab your headphones and get ready for a marketing strategy masterclass with Paris Talks Marketing. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Andre Persolia. Andre is a growth marketer helping tech startups who experience stagnant growth reposition their products to attract, convert, and retain customers. His experience comes from co-founding two startups where he learned about the challenges founders face on the path to growth. At the last startup, Andre re repositioned the product, lowering the cost of user acquisition by 52%, which led to a doubling of their growth. And that startup now got a big investment. Andre has worked with more than 30 startups and today works as a consultant and fractional CMO helping startups grow. Andre, welcome to the show. Hi, Paris. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, you've consulted lots of startups, a few dozen startups. What are some of the common challenges that you see with startups in their marketing? Yeah, I think it's, so I usually come into the company where, when they experience stagnant growth, right? So, you know, you have this sort of early stage part where obviously everything is going to be a mess. It's going to be a chaos. You have, you know, a small team, you're looking for traction, basically. Um, you're looking for anyone who's willing to give you money for your product so that you can validate that you actually have a market and that you actually have, you know, a business. And obviously in that chaos, so you're attracting clients, but you're sort of, you're not targeted with your approach, right? Because even if you come up with the best go-to-market strategy before coming to free market, so before you actually have a product, you're never going to be like a hundred percent sure that it's going to work until you actually hit the market and launch. And so obviously your go-to-market strategy in the beginning, it's going to be a hypothesis that you have to validate on the market. So when you come to the markets, it's going to be chaos. So you're trying to attract customers, especially I saw this, especially in B2B, you're sort of, you're trying to sell to anyone who is willing to give you money for your product. And that sort of leads to, you're getting sort of a mixed bag of clients, which then results in listening to those clients. Hey, client A is going to, is going to be saying, Hey, I need this feature for me to work. But then client B with another use case, he's going to say, Hey, I need something else. And you're going to be developing your product in sort of too broadly for too many customers. Yeah. And even if you have product market fit, 
what's going to happen is you're going to lose it because you'll end up with this chameleon product that's sort of everything for everyone. Like we can do everything in any company, but in reality, you, you attract no one with this because you're not specific enough. And so I think, yeah. you know, one of the misconceptions is that we talk about, you know, achieving product market fit and all of that, but, you know, it's actually keeping product market fit as well, like keeping the focus on your best fit customers once you have yeah. it, right? Would you advise then for startups to try to limit, very specifically target the ideal customer persona only, and even to some extent, try to keep out everyone else from product because they can cloud the insights that should be coming? I would say in the beginning, no. I would say in the beginning, go for it because like the, the reality is until you have the data, you can't know for sure who is going to be your best fit customers. So I would say embrace the chaos in the beginning, but you know, there, there comes a certain point in your startup life cycle when, you know, you're, you get traction, you start growing and at a certain point that growth will stall, right? And at that point, or, you know, preferably a step before, but at that point you have to go back check the data that you have and see, all right, so, you know, this customer brought in 80% of our revenue, what's their use case? And then, you know, focus on that customer, reposition your product for that customer. And then that leads to your development, your marketing efforts, your sales efforts, everything basically focusing on getting more of these kinds of customers. And at that point, I would say, yeah, then definitely create a use case yeah. out of that and focus on that customer. Yeah. Now, how does that situation change when you have investor in the picture? So how might that challenge be different if you're bootstrapping the startup and it's your own money that you're spending on marketing versus getting an investment and maybe having the pressure to spend yeah. a certain amount of money on marketing at that stage? Yeah, I actually saw that, you know, with the investors, the issue is that you're going to have investor KPIs, right? So, you know, I've worked with a client who said, we need to have, you know, this amount of user acquisition. We need this many users in our product to hit our investment goals, like the goals that were set by investor, right? And that, you know, it's not a good metric because I can easily go, for example, in B2C, right? I can easily come up with a strategy that's going to bring you a lot of users, but you won't be able to monetize them. Just run ads in Latin America. It's cheap. You, you get mm -hmm. a lot of back for your money, but you're not going to get anything out of it. So, you know, actually focusing on like specifically targeting your customers, even if it means, you know, your cost of user acquisition might be a bit higher in the beginning, it will bring more results on the bottom line. Basically, you'll get more sales. And ob obviously, so one of the things also like with bootstrapping startups, mm -hmm. that's why I say in the beginning, embrace the chaos, because especially in B2B, where you have a bit longer sales cycles, you're not going to make it if, you know, if you don't have once you're not going to make it if you just specifically target customers one by one from the beginning, you're going to fall apart. Your startup's going to fall apart and went bankrupt. You're going to lose all your money before you close the first deal. So, you know, it's good that people are willing to give you money, take that money. But then at certain point, you know, just make a cut and try to figure out who are we doing this for and what's our use case? Like what's the user's use case? Yeah. I've actually seen both scenarios where if early stage startup isn't funded, they're extremely conservative with marketing spend, even to their own detriment, because they're not spending enough to really, to conduct the proper test, actually. And they'll wind up actually wasting more of that money and then giving up as opposed to funding and then having a certain amount of money that there's pressure, there's a clock ticking and there's pressure to spend a certain amount of money and also seeing that lead to massive waste. And I think that probably the sweet spot is somewhere in between. Exactly. That's exactly it. Like uh, I saw 
bootstrap startups who said, we're going to run, you know, Facebook ads or LinkedIn ads, and we're going to spend like 500 bucks on them and then like get the data. You're not going to get any data that's 10 clicks on LinkedIn, right? You're not going to get any data. You can't base any of your strategies based on 10 clicks. So you either do a proper test or you say, you know, we don't have the money. Let's do like, how can we do it organically? Yeah. And like, don't base your decisions, your strategic business decisions on data that's not relevant in the, like, that's not statistically relevant. Yeah. Well, that you just mentioned something that's interesting. That question, how could we do it organically? I think a lot of startups maybe don't even consider that there are organic routes that they can take instead of throwing money at the advertising platforms. Can you describe a little more some of the organic options for testing a product market fit and validating? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think the obvious choice here is to be loud about it on social media, you know, building a brand. For example, everything is easier, you know, if you have a founder brand. So you, let's say you have a LinkedIn profile, you're in B2B, you have a LinkedIn profile and you're connected to 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 people, peers who can give you feedback, who you can talk to about your product and all of that. You can create amazing content from that. And obviously it's going to take longer time than, you know, if you had millions to spend. But I think every startup should sort of start with, or, you know, is at least easier to start if you have a personal brand. And that's because ever since I started growing my, my personal brand on LinkedIn, I've had countless opportunities show up to me. You know, this, like this here is one of them. You know, if I had a SaaS product, I could be talking to you about my SaaS product right now, you know, and then thousands of people are hearing my story and what I do and all of that. And that's all basically organic growth. It doesn't cost me anything about except an hour of my time. Right. And so all of this, like startups are really quick to take the VC route and sort of, oh, we need the the money. We need to get funded so we can, you know, then throw money at marketing and all of that. But that's one way to do it. And it kind of works. I'm not a huge fan of it Mm -hmm. simply because, you know, that overspending in marketing is now over, like with the 2022, 2023 market crash. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the companies are cutting the budgets. So you know, now you have half the money to produce the same result because, you know, the VCs are not going to change their KPIs. You just have less money to do it. So how are we doing that? And that's really where, you know, repositioning comes in because, you know, with the last startup, we managed to lower the cost of user acquisition by half. That means, you know, you can do the same amount of growth with half the money. And so Mm -hmm. startups mainly forget about the organic part, but there is like the basics of marketing means like marketing is there to talk to people about your product. That's it. Get it yeah. into the world, right? Just yeah. just do that. Create content around it. That's that's great. I, I would also add that a legitimate organic growth route is SEO and content marketing. That's been there for 10, 15 plus years. And I still think that can work if it's done effectively. The key there though, is that there's a time horizon aspect. If you've raised money, then there's an invisible clock on the wall. It's ticking. And I think it's very hard then to have discipline and the patience to do SEO and content marketing, which could be, it could take a year plus to get real traction. But then once you do get that traction, you could expect the momentum for that to carry and you you should be getting these compounding returns, but it might take six to 12 plus months to get there. And I've seen startups that are bootstrapping take the organic route first so that they can build a foundation of solid traffic. They can also learn from those visitors. And then they'll add paid into the mix after they've established a pretty healthy base of organic. And that requires patience. It also requires 
the understanding that we're going to we're going to do this, we're going to bootstrap organic growth for maybe a year here, and that depends a lot on what the competitors are doing. But if, if we think we don't need to push that fast due to the competitive landscape, let's build the organic base for a year, and then let's add paid to the mix because then blended CAC with organic plus paid will be lower and will have an advantage of their own. I would like to understand more about how you lowered you know, the CAC by 52% with that client of yours. I don't know if you're allowed to say who they were, but can you tell us, can you walk us through exactly what you did to achieve that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was basically my last startup I co-founded. It was, so it was a mobile app that helps dyslexic children learn to read. And mm-hmm. what we did, we shift really like good traction on uh, on our local market, but we obviously, because, you know, half of the money that's spent in mobile apps, it's actually located in the US, right? So we mm-hmm. wanted to penetrate that US market and we were sort of struggling to do it because like nobody wanted to talk to us, you know, People would download the mobile app. Some of them would convert, but this, you know, these weren't the numbers we were looking for. And Mm -hmm. so if you go and then you you read books about how to do it and go to market strategies and all of that, and you sort of every advice goes into the talk to your customers area, right? So you just need to talk to your customers. But then the issue was that, you know, we couldn't even get customers on the phone or on this, like a Zoom call, like a 15 minute Zoom call so so we could learn from them. So we were sort of struggling to get any meaningful traction. And we tried a lot. We even wrote like an 80 page book. We managed to get users onboarded for less than half a dollar per user, but they just, they wouldn't convert, right? And like, until we figured out, like we, did a sort of a brainstorming session and looking back at it, it wasn't, you know, done at a hundred percent like I do it now, but we sort of did our positioning exercise, like a brainstorming session with the team. And we tried to put everything on the table, like try to just, you know, let go of everything that we knew that far and just think with like outside the box with an open mind. And this is really difficult to do within the team because, you know, you're saying all the time, like, we are making a mobile app. And so you consider your product a mobile app. You're not thinking like, could it be anything else? But that's what we tried to do. And we figured that, you know, hey, what if we weren't a mobile app? What if, you know, we just positioned as, you know, something else? And we did us basically a split test, like an A-B test with five different messages. And one of them performed basically 52% better than the second one that was basically our main message. So until then, we sort of, had this, you know, description of our, of our product. We are a mobile app that helps dyslexic kid, the kids learn to read. And we changed that into, we are an electronic reader that helps dyslexic kids learn to read. And that was a 50% difference over four months. So we tested with AB tests, same graphics, same everything. And four months, like um, the four months that was the period. And we just saw that twice as many people came into the app, twice as many people converted. And so that's really what got me into all this, you know, positioning thing, thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know, how the context that we give to the users actually affects the customer journey and the marketing numbers. Because when you're positioned poorly, like we were, you don't know that you have a positioning problem. You know that you have a sales problem because, you know, the, the numbers just don't add up. Like your cost of user acquisition is too high. Your, you know, conversion rate is too low. So, you know, it's just sort of, it doesn't work. Your marketing numbers are poor. People don't respond to your efforts. Even if you try, you know, we were trying doing like social media, all that stuff. Nobody was responding to that. You know, you, you put your effort into social media posts and then you get two or three likes on Facebook. So you don't know that you have a positioning problem, but you know, the positioning sort of hits you all, all across the board. You sort of feel that there is no, like it's an 
anchor that's holding you back. You know, when we reposition the product, sort of, you know, the marketing started working. And so now we could get more clients into the app and we could get people on so the call and all of that. If I understand correctly, the repositioning was to refer to yourselves as an e-reader rather than an app. So you, when you said e-reader, electronic reader, that then it popped. Yeah. It, it clicked. And it makes, sort of, it makes sense if you, like, looking back at it, it makes sense because, you know, when you say to a mother of a dyslexic child, like, hey, this is like a mobile app. It's going to help your kids, you know, learn to read. Every other mobile app in that space, it's, you know, it's a game, basically. So what they were expecting mm -hmm. was a game. And when they came in, it wasn't a game. We, it was basically just an electronic reader. So, you know, the basically yeah. the context that we're giving is purely wrong. And I, I, I started looking more into that, started talking about it on LinkedIn and sort of got traction through that. But I can still see just a couple of days ago, you know, there was a guy on LinkedIn asking for feedback on, on his website. And the website said something like the main message on the website was, we help you grow your business. And, you know, the subtitle, the subheader, was the best CRM for consultants and small businesses. But, you know, the issue is that the we help you grow your business. Any, like literally anyone can say that, you know, I can say that as a consultant, you know, your next hire in marketing can say that your next hire in sales can say that even an accounting company can claim that they helped you grow your business. So, you know, who like, you're not giving me any sort of idea what you do. And then what you're actually giving me is context that makes no sense to a CRM. Like if I see or somewhere on the website or the main message on the website saying, we help you grow your business, I'm going to assume you're an agency, you know, or maybe a hiring agency or something like that. So that's completely the wrong context for the CRM. And then how you can change that basically is just check what's the biggest problems that, you know, consultants have with CRMs or, you know, with following up clients. For me, for example, I'm a consultant and I know I have a problem because I just don't do it. I may have a CRM or anything, but I just, I don't feel like following up with people and asking them, Hey, do you maybe need me today or whatever? Like, do you need my services and all of that? And all of so we're not accountable, right? Accountability is the main problem. The second problem is maybe we don't know when to follow up. What's the normal follow? Like, should I do it in a week? Should I do it after two weeks? When should I follow up with a person? Right. And so you can just turn that into your value proposition. So instead of saying, we help you grow your business, you can say, you know, the only CRM that's going to keep you accountable. And then you have your product features, right? Like easy mm -hmm. to use, just you and your list, no distractions. You just have to do the steps or, you know, the next yeah. feature, an AI feature that tells you when to follow up. Perfect. If I read that, I'm not going to be checking the competition. This is the perfect product for me, right? And that's how you yeah. sort of eliminate the competition as well. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS, and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Yep. You mentioned AI there, and I want to segue a little bit there. So many people now are using generative AI like ChatGPT to produce headlines and ad copy, and maybe with success. And we've tried it a lot also. But do you think that any generative AI tool could have come up with that headline of changing the positioning from a mobile app to an e-reader? Do you think AI would have been capable of suggesting that? 
I, so I've tried it, ChatGPT, in a lot of ways because I was trying to sort of make a product out of it. Like, what's the prompt that I could use to help me position mm -hmm. a SaaS startup for my clients, right? Mm -hmm. And it's always this, like, the same issue that, like, the problem is it doesn't have a strategic capability of doing it. And it's the same. So it comes to the same result that the founder comes on their own. It comes to maybe like an 80% of the right answer, but then just mm -hmm. misses by a fraction. And that fraction is going to cost you a lot. So that fraction is the difference between, you know, the only CRM that's going to keep you accountable and we help you grow your business. That's the 20% difference. But that 20% requires sort of an in-depth thought on what you're really trying to, like, what's the value that you're giving to your customers mm -hmm. and AI, it's not going to know that you would sort of have to input in, you know, all of the client data, actual your client data, their use cases and all of that. And you can't yet do that. So you actually need to, you know, look at your data. If you've done interviews, look at the qualitative data, check your product analytics and combine that into an analysis and come up with mm -hmm. a value proposition. And it becomes really easy when you do that. Yeah. But that's a, that's a key insight there that I don't think marketers can rely on these tools for deeper strategic positioning or repositioning of a product. Oh, it can give you Instead, ideas. You have to deep to get, really get to the pain point. So the pain point for that CRM is that I might believe all CRMs are basically the same. My problem is that I'm too lazy and I can't hold myself accountable, but there is no CRM that can really solve for that. That's about me. I've got to change. But then you see that headline, whoa, this is a CRM that will hold me accountable. That's getting right to the deeper pain point. And maybe with the dyslexic, the app for helping kids with dyslexia, also maybe their parents are looking more for an e-reader, something that, that they equate with a Kindle or something like that. Whereas, I mean, it doesn't really matter whether it's a mobile app, but, but the e-reader term. Yeah, absolutely. It brings up a different connotation in their mind. It maybe helps. All right. An e-reader is something that you really spend time and read on, whereas an app is probably something that you use quickly to get in and out of it. Exactly. It's a casual thing. And when they, you know, when they were forced to sort of stay in the app, it didn't work because they, they were approaching it as a casual sort of five minute a day thing. Right. So yeah. yeah, it's basically the wrong context. If you're not getting traction, if you're not converting user, you're probably giving them the wrong context. That is if, of course, there is a market for your product because it can be that you're doing like a market for like a product for nobody, right. That nobody really wants. So yeah, absolutely. For the mobile app marketing, were, were you all using the traditional channels like Google app promo campaigns, Facebook app promo, yeah. Apple search ads? Yeah, we, we basically, we tested all of that and more, and we ended up just using Google app promos. Yeah, because they were like producing the best results. And I think their alg algorithm at the time was the best mm -hmm. to just attract and convert users. We sort of got the best results from that. And even now, like I work with a client, they produce a Chrome extension and, you know, Google ads still work the best. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. It outperformed Facebook and Instagram and, and Apple search ads too. All right. At the time, Apple ads was something that was just coming along and it wasn't like we were getting. So on Google ads, we were getting like we were spending like half a dollar per mobile app download on Apple. We had like six dollars or something like that. So it wasn't even comparable. And on Facebook, Facebook, it was something in between. So, yeah. yeah. Were you were you optimizing? Was your primary KPI cost per install? 
So in the beginning, it was because in the beginning, we just wanted to get people into the app so we could get user feedback mm -hmm. on the app. Later, we were sort of tracking campaigns from mobile app download and then to uh, registration and revenue in, the, in the, at the end. Although, you know, there is always this problem. And that's, again, something that goes why you should do more organic because, you know, the attribution model, especially after the iOS update, is basically it's broken. There is no way you can track a user because a user is going to see an ad on their phone in the office and then, you know, she'll come home and then, you know, check something like check the same app on, you know, on a tablet or something. You can't track across multiple devices. All of that is just no way for an early stage startup to do that. You would have to spend a lot of money into analytics to get an approximate solution to that problem. And so this sort of organic comes in. So, you know, going back and staying in touch with your customers and trying to get them on calls, figuring out their use cases and all of that, you know, it helps you understand why a certain ch a channel is working, why it's not, and so on. And obviously, you're, nev you're never going to have a clear picture of every channel and so on. Like, it's mm -hmm. just impossible. But, you know, knowing your clients, do they listen to podcasts? Do they search on Reddit? Like what, you know, what channels are they using? It's going to help you narrow down and really, you know, focus on what's important. And I, I think that's important in the yeah. early stage where, you know, you don't have the money to, you know, just do, or the team to just do everything. Andre, how do you get people onto Zoom calls? That's something also we've struggled with. You offer them something that um, they need. So... I've had a case in, in January where we would also struggle. So I was working with a client, a B2B client, and we were also struggling to get their customers onto the calls. But then in that case, it was just the messaging that was important. So, you know, what do you say in your first message on LinkedIn? How do you present? So what, what are they get, getting back, right? So in that case, we tried to offer like, you know, industry report that we are doing that we were basically doing through these interviews. Myself, for example, as a consultant, because I know a lot of consultants have this problem. I try to offer every now and then, I try to offer like a 30 minute strategy call for free in return for a 30 minute sort of interview call and that's you know that's something I actually that I would probably try to do now again because the markets are changing right with the with the economic downturn and everything else it's like startup founders now have different problems than they had a year ago so I need to adapt my offer I did I need to adapt um, my services and that's, you know, it's as simple as that. Hey, you have a problem. Like, are you experiencing startup uh, stagnant growth? I can help you out. I'll give you a 30 minute strategy call. We can figure this out. And in return, you're giving me 30 minutes of your time and like just answering the challenges that you're currently having. And that's how I get, you know, basically user data. And that's how I get users on onto Zoom calls. And it's still not easy, but it is doable yeah. and it is worth it in the end. And do you find more success reaching out through LinkedIn messaging or through email or through another channel? Yeah, so I try to do both, uh, but LinkedIn is my primary channel. I've never really looked anywhere else. Obviously, you know, Facebook and Instagram isn't as useful for, you know, high ticket consulting, but LinkedIn has sort of worked well for me and that's why I'm sticking with it. And the one thing is also like just connect, like one thing that people forget on LinkedIn is it's not all about content. And I had the same problem. So I was doing like seven posts a week, like a year ago. And then, you know, I saw that like this wasn't really working. It was a lot of hard work, but not, you know, the ROI that I was expecting. And so now I'm doing like three posts a week. 
but I'm spending a lot more time basically just connecting to people. So just commenting on their stuff. Basically, I'm searching for every day I spend an hour, just I put in, you know, the startup hashtag into the search. I try to get the, the post from the last 24 hours and wherever I can add some knowledge, I can add my opinion, I can, I just yeah. share it. And that sort of helped me build a network in that startup. And then it's easier because you get one person on the call, you get to meet them, you start a relationship. And when you start a relationship, you can then just use him or her as well to get you to the next person, right? So you can just, hey, do you have anybody else who would be willing in that sort of deal? So would you exchange 30 minutes for your time for 30 minutes of my time? And yeah, that's um, sort of the organic way of doing it. In amongst the old AI automations and all of that, I'm, I'm still trying to stay away from that on LinkedIn. Yeah, it's tempting, isn't it? But I think that, that organic approach, not automated approach is still the best. And LinkedIn, to my knowledge, is still policing pretty hard against automation tools. It so is. I think that's it, it, it is. And since it's my only channel, basically, except, you know, I have a newsletter, but it's my only sort of social media that I use for professional purposes. So I, I don't want to end up in LinkedIn jail. So I just don't use any. Yeah, any can't take that risk. No, no. I hear you. I, I know what you mean. Tell me about the newsletter. Is that an email newsletter or a LinkedIn yes. newsletter? It's an email newsletter. I'm basically doing like in-depth startup positioning strategy topics. And I, I just share it bi-weekly with my subscribers. So I have a monthly topic. So I'm going to be, you know, talking about repositioning or, you know, how to get customers to Zoom calls over a period of a month. And in that month, I'm going to do two newsletters where I go in depth, record a video, talk about it. Sometimes I'm going to have, you know, like an interview with someone, stuff like that, just mm -hmm. so that, you know, basically sharing value with, with my subscribers. That's great. So what's next for you and your career, Andre? Where I, I see that you're you're a consultant, fractional CMO. Where do you see things headed? Do you, do you want to keep doing this? I mean, I love what, you, what I'm doing right now because I'm sort of, you know, I have a, a few clients and I sort of like that. I found that I, I sort of need this balance of, you know, having one sort of steady client and I'm a fractional CMO for a consulting company in, in California. And that sort of gives me like the long-term it gives you long-term challenges that the company faces, right? Because just doing like positioning projects, it's sort of the positioning projects is sort of, you come in, you solve the problem, you're there for like three months and then you go out, but you sort of don't see this long-term challenges that the company faces, like what's next after. So we reposition the product, uh, you know, marketing is working, sales are working, we're growing, what's the next challenge? So I sort of need that stability of a longer term client. And then next to that, I obviously do a lot of positioning and a lot of repositioning and stuff like that. These are monthly, two month, three month projects. And yeah, in the, in the long term, like that's what I'm doing now. I love it. So I'm not thinking about changing that at the moment. I still have a lot to learn, a lot to experience and working on multiple projects gives me sort of that depth. And I think this is something, you know, for marketers as well, there is a lot of different perspectives, opinions, angles in marketing and to get them working on multiple projects really gives you that depth on how, you know problems can be solved in different ways. So that's sort of something Absolutely. I'm like, I love learning for some reason after, after I quit my university, I started learning. And so, you know, just, um, how ironic, huh? Yeah, exactly. And it, it keeps me motivated because I see sort of different challenges, different problems that different companies has, and every company is unique. So it comes with unique challenges. And so I love just solving that. Yeah. I, I also 
tell a lot of our folks at the agency that the big advantage of working in an agency versus in-house is that you, you get to have exposure to multiple projects. You can start to see patterns and common threads. It gives you a broader perspective on different markets, and you're able to take bigger risks and test things out. And that's why I do believe that agency life for marketers is better. You're surrounded by colleagues and peers that are all more or less trying to solve the same problems, whereas in-house could be in a small marketing team or by yourself kind of on an island. Yeah, exactly. Not being fully appreciated by uh, other people in other departments, perhaps. And so I think it might not be an enti entire career, but I think for marketers, it's always good to have a part of your career in an agency. No, I completely agree. I would, so I would recommend that to every like marketer who is just starting out, just go into an agency and, you know, experience all of it because you also, you don't know what you're going to like and what you're not going to like. So will you like the, I don't know, everybody loves Facebook and Instagram, but will you like the discipline of checking those Facebook ads every day and, you know, Instagram ads every day and all of that. And so mm -hmm. it sort of gives you either that or a really small startup team. So join a small startup um, because, you know, in a small startup, you're not going to have five marketers around you. You're going to have, you're gonna, it's going to be you and maybe your mentor and that's it. So you're going to have to experience a lot and obviously startups pivot a lot as well. So today we're going to be doing Facebook ads. Tomorrow we'll have a B2B product for, a, you know, that's going to be selling on, on LinkedIn. So, you know, you get to experience, you know, all the channels and all of that. And that's how I found that, you know, for example, Facebook ads, that's not where I want to be. Like I'm good at strategy. I'm not good at, you know, the detail, like everyday check, you know, Excel file and what we're doing work. I prefer to work with, with teams that have their, you know, at least a social media manager or somebody that can implement my strategy. And these are the things that you have to sort of learn on the job, I guess. So yeah, I would, I completely agree. I would say like everyone should have like a part in either an agency or a small startup. Yeah. Well, Andre, this has been great. We could go on much longer, I feel. Is there is there anything that I didn't ask you that, that you wished I would have asked or anything else that you feel could benefit our audience? No, I think you covered it pretty well. I don't have anything else to add except just focus on your startup's foundation, like build the foundation up, figure out who your clients are, like what's the problems or use cases that they have and think about organic more because it's not all about money. It's not about getting that next Series A or whatever you need. If you have organic traction, you don't, very possibly don't even need that. So think about organic more. Think about the context that you're giving to the users. And that's it. Great. Well, thanks very much for being with me today, Andre. Everyone, this is Andre Pasolka, and we, we're talking all about startups. Please reach out to him. Uh, by the way, where is the best place for people to find you oh, just, online? Andre? Just LinkedIn. I have every every link that you might need to every resource that I have on LinkedIn. So just, you know, try to find me on LinkedIn. Awesome. All right. Thanks for being with me today, Andre. Have Thank a great day. Thank you, Paris. Thank you. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.